we're going to continue 1 Peter chapter 4. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, as we read these verses, pray together, see what it is God has for us in this text. I really love the text we're going to be reading today, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge for us as people who love our comfort, where it's a challenge for us as people navigating a lot of different situations and circumstances that may involve us stepping way outside of our comfort zone. So let's read together. We're going to start in verse 12 and read down to verse 19. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be done, what will be the outcome of those for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come, God, to get into this word that we believe is true and infallible. God, we thank you. Lord, we just ask you in this moment right now, whatever we've come in with, whoever we are today. God, that it's nothing compared to what it is you have for us. Father God, break down barriers, break down walls, tear off chains, God, so that we can step into the goodness and the glory you have for each and every one of us in a confident, faithful way. God, we come to you this morning as you've called us to gather together under one name, worshiping you as fallen, broken people in desperate need of something outside of ourselves for salvation. Lord, we trust in you for that. Speak to us, move through us, challenge and convict us in all the ways that you see fit here today. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 4, you know, has been a challenge as we few weeks ago talked about spiritual defense last week we talked about spiritual offense what it looks like for us as believers to step into active participation in the work that God has for us and so continuing on in that same idea in that same vein Peter really begins to double down on the preparation and kind of the anticipation on what's ahead and so you know these verses they're very very clear and very specific and very uh, prominent for us as Christians to be recognizing what exactly it is that it's saying to us and I hope this morning that we can experience that and see that together that as Christians what can we 
expect ahead of us? And how do we navigate a, that for us? And so this morning, you know, even though I have four, four points, my notes are a lot shorter this week than they were last week. And I, I, I hope that we can see what it is from these verses as we break down this section, what it is that Peter's trying to communicate to us. And so if I had to subtitle this morning, it would be this, living for God through suffering. I know that seems very simple. I wasn't, didn't want to be super creative. I wanted to just be really straightforward. What does it look like living for God in the midst of suffering? And so when we talk about suffering, a lot of times we immediately associate that with maybe loss or something like that. But really, when the Bible speaks of suffering, it's not only in the sense of like loss of a family member or some type of pain or endearment or persecution, but it's even in those areas at which we step out and we're uncomfortable. Maybe it's raising a family to follow Christ. Maybe it's engaging with a spouse in our relationships that puts us in those spaces that are uncomfortable, that challenge us, that, that push us to these places where we don't, maybe we even don't want to be at times as far as even being a parent, you know? Trying to live and learn and teach our kids to be differently than the world that's pressing in around them. That's a tough, tough space that inflicts a sense of suffering and uncomfortability that we have to navigate. And so, <clears throat> four things this morning that I want us to see that I believe Peter is speaking to us and how we navigate living a life through suffering. Living a Christian life through suffering in a world that's resisting us, in a world that's in opposition to us. How do we live through that? And so the first thing we see here in verse 12, I believe Peter is telling us is to prepare for it. To prepare for it. And what does he say here in verse 12? He says, Beloved, Beloved, and I just want to stop on that word right there really quick before we move on because that is a very significant word. Peter and Paul use that word so much through their writings, but not only do they use that, but Jesus used that in talking about His people and talking about His children and talking about those that He calls His own. And so that word beloved is a very specific, very special word for Christians because what it means is favored and worthy of love. Now there's a couple things that we need to know before we move on from this. You know, because what I believe that Peter is doing right here is that he knows for us, that he knows and he understands for us that preparation, preparing for suffering, preparing for difficulties, preparing for opposition, that prep, preparation begins with understanding our position. Preparation begins with understanding our position. And so as he begins to go into this section where he's telling them to be ready, to be prepared, he calls them, he, he notifies them, kind of engages with them by their given name, by their new birth name in Christ, beloved. Now, I'm saying that the word beloved means favored and worthy of love. What we need to understand is this name, beloved, that we've been given is not a name that we've earned. Beloved is not our name by our physical birth. Beloved is our name by our spiritual birth. And we only have that name because someone had that name before us. And someone gave us that name on His behalf. And we see that in Matthew 3.17. As Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, it says this. It says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
So there's an association that carries strength into suffering. And so that's what Paul wants us to see. That's what Peter, Peter wanted us to see and what Peter wanted them to see is that that association carries with it a sense of strength and it reminds us about our position. And so he says, Beloved, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. So he says, don't be surprised. And the reason that we can walk into that space and not be surprised Surprised, not be caught off guard is because of our association, because of the name that's been given to us when we have put our faith in Christ and His work on our behalf and the sacrifice on the cross. We inherit a name, and that name is beloved. That name is favored. That name is worthy of love, not because of our own, but because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And so it's in that association that we have strength to navigate suffering. Romans 8 17 and 18. It says this, it says, And if children, then heirs, talking about the people of God, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so we see that. We see just great verses that Paul is communicating here to us where it's reinforcing this idea that if we are heirs in Christ, not of our own, but in Christ, then we have a, an inheritance. We have an inheritance that is ours, and that inheritance is an, is an identification of who we are, beloved, favored, worthy of love. And because we are beloved and favored and worthy of the love of what God has for us, there is a confidence that we step into suffering with. There's a confidence that we step into uncomfortable situations with. But not only a confidence, but what he, Peter tells us is an expectation. An expectation. He says, listen, the problem and where we can as the church ever present the Christian life as happy-go-lucky, as if there's never going to be opposition, there's never going to be problems, that all your problems go away, that if you have enough faith, that you'll be healed. If you have enough faith, you'll never experience hardships, you'll never experience turmoil. No. Peter says, listen, expect those things, but expect it from a place of your identification. Expect it from a place of your association of who you are through your spiritual new birth in Christ, this name that you've been given. And so what does he say? He says, Do not be surprised when these trials, when they come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Because I think this is where we as Christians, where we can fall short in how we present the gospel, how we present the Christian life. Because I, I love how he says here, you know, that you would, that as though something strange were happening to you. Because then the world looks at it, you know, and we navigate suffering and we've presented this gospel as if there's nothing bad that's ever happened and it's a gospel that should put us where we fit with everybody and everything in every situation then when those things come crashing down the world looks at us and are like are you you're surprised by that like I mean what did you think was going to happen but he tells us here he says listen navigate this space not only expecting it but living as if you're not surprised that it's happening should we be surprised at the world around us no Man, this is what it is. This is what we signed up for as Christians. And we love it and we anticipate it and we expect it because it reveals it's giving way for the power of God to come sweeping through. To do something amazing in the lives of individuals who are resistant to Him. Who are pushing back on Him. That is the space at which God works the best. Is in the midst of opposition. Is in the midst of struggle. 
is in the midst of suffering, is in the midst of persecution. That's where hearts are changed. That's where radical movements of God happen. It's in the midst of that unknown space of potential difficulty and suffering. And so he says, don't be surprised and don't live your Christian life like you're surprised. So then he continues on the second thing this morning, not only that we prepare for it, but in the midst of any type of difficulty, persecution, or uncomfortable situations, we find ourselves as Christians, living as Christians. He tells us here in the second part to praise through it. To praise through it. And so in verse 13, he says this. says, but rejoice insofar as you, are, as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Church, listen, we rejoice, we rejoice when we suffer for Christ because we suffer with Christ. When we suffer for Christ, we're reminded we're suffering with Christ. We're suffering because of what He's done, because of who He is, because of everything He's bringing. And so we are able to praise through it because God has given us not only that name that we saw earlier, that beloved, that worthy, that, un, uh, that favored one, but also He's given us something else. He's given us joy as an inheritance. He's given us joy as an inheritance that cannot be taken from us. And I've said this a lot of times, but you know, we, we, we always compare joy and happiness, but those things are really completely different things, you know, because happiness is like the thermometer, right? It changes depending on the environment, but joy is the thermostat where it controls the environment, okay? And so for us as Christians, God has called us to this place where we are driven by joy. Because if we're driven by our happiness, happiness changes with our circumstances, right? Happiness changes depending on the day to day. I don't know about you, but I don't always step into a Monday happy, right? It's Monday. I'm not happy about Monday. You know, or you step into a situation or some type of, of, of opposition, you know, or, or some type of loss or failure. It, you're not happy about that. But there's something that carries us through that. There's an inheritance that we have and it's joy. I love in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. As Nehemiah has come and he's helping the people of Israel as they've come back to destroyed uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar you know, and, and when they were exiled. And so they come back and they want to rebuild and they're looking out over all the destruction and they're planning and they have enemies all around them and, and they're pressing in around them. And then Nehemiah has this to say as they're planning and preparing to begin rebuilding. He says this, he says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, you've probably heard that portion of it, but just in the context, as we consider what's happening in this situation, when Nehemiah says, listen, celebrate as the enemy and destruction lay around us. The enemy surrounds us. There's destruction and ruins in the midst of us. Go and celebrate. Celebrate why? Because today is holy because of the Lord. Not only that, but you have something within you that God has planted, the Spirit of God has planted in you, and that very thing He's planted in you is joy. Joy that is not manipulated by our situation. Joy that is not manipulated by our circumstances. Joy that does not try to fit into the crease that the world has created for us, but joy that carries us through all things, that supports us through all things. And that, strength, that joy is the strength that is of the Lord, what He has given us. And that's what 
carries us through. That what helps us praise Him. And then in Philippians verse 3. Philippians verse 3, and I, I think I only have verse 10, uh, I mean, sorry, chapter 3, I think I only have verse 10 on the screen, but I want to read the whole thing as Paul writes this in verses 8 through 10. He says, Indeed. My watch is talking to me, apparently. <laughs> that was weird. Anyway, all right. Philippians chapter 3, I don't know who I just called. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. They're going to get a sermon in their voicemail today. It says this. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It says, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Man, I love, love those verses because it just reinforces this idea that Paul's uh, kind of sharing and reinforcing Peter's message here in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, listen, we count everything as rubbish. We count everything as garbage in comparison to what Christ has because what Christ has offered us is he's, offered us a, he's offered us a hope. He's offered us a future. He's offered us joy that carries us through all these sufferings that allows us to praise through it. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. As the Christian faith is beginning to really get going, they say this, as then they left the presence of the council as the Christians stand there, proclaiming the message of God, preparing for suffering. It says this, they, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That they, were, they, they celebrated and they saw it as being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And if we could see our faith in that way. You know, and, and like I said, let's not look at suffering just as like physical pain or torture or anything like that. But even think of it on the lesser end. That we would see it worthy to be uncomfortable for Christ. That we would see it worthy to have uncomfortable conversations with our children for Christ. That we would, have, uh, we would count it worthy to, to begin to try to establish rhythms of devotion and discipleship in our lives, even though we fail and we struggle through it. That we, would count our, that we would count it worthy to be uncomfortable in our jobs as we have conversations about Jesus. That we would count it ourselves, that we would see ourselves as we would be celebrating this worthiness that we have to participate in that. And then verse 14 says this, he says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And so this word insulted could be translated also treated unfairly for being a representative. That, that you are insulted being a representative of all that Christ is and for the public proclamation of His name. It says that you would, that you're blessed. That you're blessed. And we hate the idea of that. Golly, we don't, we don't want to be those people. Like, right? We don't want to be the outcast. We don't want to be the ones that, that people have things to say about because of our faith, because of the things that we hold on to, because of the things that we believe. And so he tells us, listen, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
And this is like, this, this word blessed is this elevation of joy and happiness that we cannot attain our own, but when we've stepped in that faithful obedience for, uh, with Christ, that God pours this out over us, that it's not just a general happiness, but it's an acknowledgement that shows God's approval, that you are blessed. Matthew 5, 11 in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. On my account. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews eleven twenty six. He says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for He was looking to the reward. I love Love that verse that he considered the reproach of Christ or the insults on Christ's behalf greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And Egypt was the pinnacle of wealth, health, and success. Uh, Egypt was the pinnacle of everything that anyone ever would have wanted to accomplish in the world. So for him to say that, we can try to put that in the context of where we live today. Just think about what seems the most successful, what seems the most wealthy, that seems like the most comfort, that seems like the most happiness. He says that... He considered the insults that he would receive on Christ's behalf greater wealth and worthy to be treasured than the greatest wealth, health, and happiness that the world could offer. And he continues on that we can praise through it because of the blessedness, but not, not only that, then this in verse 14, that the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. This word rest means to remain, to stay. And so not only is there that confidence that we can praise through the suffering, the persecution, the opposition, because He will remain, the Spirit of God will remain, but not only remain, but this word rest can also be translated to refresh. So it's, there's not a question that in those moments, in living the Christian life, in raising a Christian family, in leading a Christian marriage, and in being a Christian example, that we will feel spent. That we will have moments where we navigate feeling drained. And he tells us, reminds us that the Spirit of God rests on you, that the Spirit of God refreshes that it's in the Spirit of God we find refreshment. We find that refreshing Spirit that moves us, that grows us, that continues to lead, guide, and direct us. That the promise of God and His power and provision and the, the, and the confidence that comes with knowing that the Spirit of God rests upon you. You know, for a lot of us, for a lot of us, I believe our problem is, whether it's difficulties, uncertainties, you know, we're navigating, uh, trying to figure out how to navigate Christian life and just the, the mess around us. For a lot of us, our problem is we're trying to calm the storm. We're trying to calm the storm. But the reality is where we need to begin is when we need to just calm ourselves. And eventually the storm will pass, right? Let's, let's, let's calm ourselves. Let's settle in to this refreshing, remaining spirit that God has given us. Stop trying to fix everything out here and rest in the Lord and the storm will pass. And it's within that that we can find the strength we need to praise through it. And then the third thing would be this. Not only do we prepare for it and praise through it, but I ran out of P words. So it's stay honorable through it. 
Stay honorable through it. Verses 18, uh, 15, verse 15 says this. He says, Let no one suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, as a meddler. And so, you know, it's kind of a shift here because, it, it, you know, he's, he's going on and he's talking about the people of God and he's talking about suffering, but then he goes into this portion and he wants us to know, listen, there, and we've talked about this a little bit earlier on a little bit, where just because we're suffering, we need to evaluate why we're suffering. You know, because we could very well be suffering because we're doing the wrong things. Not because we're doing God's will. Not because we're, being, we're suffering as a Christian. We may be suffering because of the stupidity or the, the things that we're doing. You know, and so he says, you know, just because all this is happening for you as a Christian. And so remember, we got to put our mindset into a, a Christian in 64 AD living in Rome when Peter is writing this. And they're being accused of burning Rome to the ground. They're being burnt in the street. They're being dragged into the street. There's all these things that are happening. And so Peter tells them, he says, listen, all these things are crashing in around you. But don't let your suffering be because you've murdered someone because you're suffering. You know, because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times when I'm feeling down or feeling like stirred up or, you know, I'm angry, I'm feeling all these things pressing in around me. I feel like it justifies some reaction from me, right? Have you lived that where you felt like because of the way you feel, it justifi justifies your responses? And those responses maybe are very negative or those responses are very abrasive or those responses uh, are very ugly maybe towards other people or maybe towards your family or maybe towards your situation. You know, I think in a lot of ways, kind of bringing it down to our level, I think that's what he's saying here. That's what he's communicating. Listen, don't let your suffering be because of uncontrolled responses. You know, because when someone's trying to come and kill you, he's, you know, he's saying... Don't let your response be to murder back. You know, don't, be your, don't let your response be their response. Don't let your response be the equal, equal to what they're doing. And not only that, but he says, and don't be a thief. You're like, don't go steal. Don't go try to take. Don't try to be what they are. Have what they have. And not only that, he says, don't be an evil doer or someone who is pursuing wrong in the midst of all this. Don't let what's going on around you convince you to justify what you're doing that's wrong that may be causing you to suffer, that may be causing things to be more difficult for you. That's not going to be in the place at which God has called you to, but it's going to be more of our own motivation. Not only that, but he says, or as a meddler. You know, or as a meddler, you know, someone that is engaging with the uh, things that aren't our business or getting into stuff in places at which we shouldn't be, that we're feeling for us as Christians. You know, and I think a lot of ways that we can see this is where we try to engage with arguments with people when it's not our place to get in arguments. You know what I'm saying? You see that as Christians, sometimes we tend to do that because we're angry about something, because we see the world around us is just not agreeing with us. And so we want to find all these places, you know, the best place you see that is social media keyboard warriors that just want to sit around and argue and fight with people on social media, which is never going to accomplish. I'm saying it right now, social media arguments is never going to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. Other than create spaces for people to say ugly things to each other that you don't ever accomplish anything. Because just like text messages, you know, like sometimes I hate to text people because especially if you're having a dialogue about something because the way someone reads it may be different than how you would have said it, right? 
And so we got to be careful how we do those things. But in a lot of ways, us as Christians in this day and age, that's a place we can get ourselves where we kind of lose our honor when we begin engaging and meddling in ways at which we should not be. And so he tells us to stay honorable through it. And he says in verse six, I mean, in a couple verses for us to read, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, he says, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. He says, listen, we've got tasks to do. Stay on task. 1 Timothy 5.13, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And he's talking about people who get caught up in the mess of the world. House to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. And so we can get caught up in these things. And that's where Peter is telling us, listen, don't, be, don't allow the difficulties and sufferings you're doing and experiencing. Be because you can't keep your mouth shut. He says, don't be meddlers. And then in verse 16, he says this, reminding us the, the reason why we stay honorable in the midst of suffering and oppression and opposition. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There's only three times that the Bible even uses this word Christian, and this is one of them. The first time is in Acts eleven twenty six. I mean, it's kind of talking about the establishment of the church in, the, in Antioch in Acts 26, 28, as the church begins to kind of move and function there. And then here in 1 Peter chapter 4, the first two examples in Acts are right before suffering. And this situation right here is in the midst of suffering. And remember that word Christian means Christ follower. And so he says here, if anyone suffers as a Christ follower, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so what Peter is saying here is own your namesake. Own your, your commitment. Own who you are. He says, be a Christian. Be it proudly. Don't be ashamed of it. He says, if you suffer for that, don't be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. Glorify that you have the opportunity Call Christ your Lord. Regardless of the situations that you find yourself in as you pursue it, glorify Him in the midst of that. And then in verse 18, because of this, this is why. He says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so what Peter is doing here is he's referencing kind of some Old Testament language about judgment of the unrighteous. And so that seems strange to us when we read that word, well, if the righteous is scarcely saved, so what is he saying there? Because, you know, in the Bible, we, we think about the righteous, we're talking about those that are, that are saved, right? But he's speaking of it from a worldly perspective when he says, if the righteous is scarcely saved. And so if we could think of it like this, if the self-righteous is scarcely saved. You know, if those by the world's perspective that seem like they're doing everything right and doing everything good... If they're scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So what he's saying here, because what he's referencing is the idea that we believe and know is that we're not saved because we're self-righteous. We're not saved because we do all the right things. We're saved because our righteousness is in God's goodness, in Jesus' goodness, and His ability to live a perfect life and to die and bear our sin and shame. So what he's saying there is that if the righteous, those who are good by the world standards are scarcely saved, uh, you know, because they're not guaranteed that they're going to be saved because of their good acts. They're only guaranteed to be saved if they put their 
faith in someone else's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What will become of those who choose personally and intentionally to live a life in disobedience to who God is and what God has done and reject the cross of Christ? You know, what will happen there and what he's trying to bring our attention to, what he's trying to help us understand is the gravity of the situation, the gravity of the lostness of the world around us. And that for us, the reason why we must continue to be honorable through the suffering is because we are pointing people to something greater than ourselves. And so then the last thing, the fourth thing is this. Not only do we stay honorable through it, the suffering, the opposition, the persecution, but he says that we should trust God to prove it. To trust God to prove that He will do it. In verse 19 he says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. To a faithful Creator while doing good. Remember, stay honorable through it. And as you're navigating it, trust your souls. Give yourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. That everything we're doing, we're doing to be good. We're doing to point to God. And why do we do that? Because we have, and I love that he used this word. There's not many times in in the New Testament that God is referenced as a faithful creator. Because what that brings to our attention, you know, he's not talking about a faithful man, not a faithful boss, not a faithful leader, not a faithful friend, but a faithful creator, a faithful shaper, a faithful molder, a faithful provider, a faithful author, a faithful architect, that if God has pressed and put all this together, that believe that he is faithful to make something of it, that God is a creator that cares about his creation, that God is a creator that's not store his creation in a back lot somewhere, does not give it away, does not put it away because of its fallibility, but that God is a creator that is faithful to his creation, that God is a creator that has made you, created you in his image for something, and that God is faithful. David writes in Psalm 31, 5, he says, into your hand I commit my spirit, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God, that you are faithful, it doesn't matter what I'm navigating. It doesn't matter the, the opposition against me. Second Timothy, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 1-12. He says, This is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And I think this is important. This is so important for us to understand. That Peter can reference to us a faithful Creator, because for us, hopefully as Christians, we know who our faithful Creator is. It is the God of heaven and earth that came as Jesus Christ to bear our sin and shame, to die for His creation. We've got to know that Creator. And that's what's important for us. Because we do this. We do everything that we do. We come, we teach the Bible, we worship, we teach our kids, we pray, we live lives of devotion. Because of the Creator we know. And we can't allow the pressure from the outside to push us to mold our message for the masses. And this is what we have to understand. The most important thing that we do as Christians is make sure the masses know the message of the Creator. 
the true creator, not the creator that's comfortable, not the creator that doesn't convict, not the creator that makes things uh, safe for us, but the creator, the faithful creator of heaven and earth that has given us his word, the revelation, the revealed word of God that has a message for us. That has a message for His people. That's why we live it. That's why we communicate it. And that's why we have to stand firm on it. Because if we allow the message that we present to be molded for the masses, they will miss it. Because they won't hear about the Creator. They won't hear about who the Creator is and what the Creator has done. What they'll hear about is what creation wants to hear from Him. This is what creation wants. This is what creation needs to feel more comfortable. This is what creation desires to feel better about ourselves and to, to live our lives more comfortably if we mold the message not to fit adequately who the Creator is, but to fit us as the creation better. You know, I always love to, to, to get insight from old men and women that have passed away long before us, but... A.W. Tozer, a theologian, wrote this. said, The temptation to modify the teachings of Christ with the hope that larger numbers may accept Him is cruelly strong in this day of speed, size, noise, and crowds, but can only result in a weak and ineffective Christianity in this generation and death and desolation in the next. Jesus said this in John 15, 21. He says, but all these things they will do to you on, my, on the account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Because they do not know him who sent me. The most important thing we do as Christians, churches, make him known. The true creator, the true God, not the culture's perspective of who God is, but who God really is. Because it's in that, it's in that that there is life. It's in that that there's a future. It's in that that there is a, is a hope. Listen, we could be the type of Christian church that makes living in this world very comfortable. You know, we can, we, can, we can communicate a message. We can communicate a lifestyle. We can communicate all kinds of things that make living in this world very safe and comfortable. And as much as I would love, because it would be easier on us and be easier on me if we lived and presented a message that, that was that way, it would not do anyone any good. Because it's only going to make us comfortable and safe for a short time. And it's not going to give us the message of hope, of eternal hope that we desperately need. And that's what the people need. As we navigate suffering and difficulties, as we navigate as outsiders, they need us to stand firm. They need us to prepare for it, to praise through it, to stay honorable through it, and to trust God to prove it. Because His message is worth it. So as the worship team comes, I want us to pray. And we're going to sing together this morning. Acknowledging who God is and what He's done. But church, I, I just want us, as we, as we take a moment, each of us, where we are, I want you to just bow your heads with me as, as I bow my heads with you and we, we close our eyes and we begin to ponder those spaces in our life. The spaces where we feel uncomfortable in our faith, where we feel uncomfortable in our obedience and our faithful steps. 
as we feel uncomfortable about the, even the message of Christ, the true biblical message of Jesus and what He has given us and the instructions for, for life and godliness that He's laid out before us, those spaces that feel uncomfortable to us that we, we have a whole, hard time holding on to because of the opposition that we receive because of it, because of the, 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 the dissatisfaction the world around us may have because of that message, that we could just ask God, God, give me the strength, that we would begin to just see where those spaces are. Starting first with me personally, for us personally as individuals, God, where am I missing it? Because I'm, 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 I'm too afraid to step out into those spaces that are uncomfortable. Maybe it's with my spouse. Maybe it's with my kids. Maybe it's in my workplace. To be confident in that name. Christ follower. God, where am I uncomfortable in that name? Where am I uncomfortable in those conversations? God, where am I uncomfortable in those spaces? And then we are asking this morning, church, let's ask Him together, Father God, where can I begin to take steps of obedience? Begin to live more confidently in who you are. Maybe it's, it's just baby steps in my life of devotion, in my conversations with my spouse and having difficult conversations or, or even simply praying over my children or reading scripture over my children. That we would ask, Father God, where, where do you have for me to go? God, how can I begin to take those steps? God, give me the vision and the direction to take those steps. And then as we, we continue to just ask Him, you know, God... me to have the courage it takes to stay honorable in the midst of opposition. God, to allow you space to prove who you are in the midst of my difficulties, in the midst of a, a culture, in the midst of conversations that are resistant and op opposing to what we believe. God, as we step out to, to treat people with respect and to, and, to, and, to, and to offer love. God, but in that, still holding firm to what it is you have for us and who it is you've called us to be. And Father, and we, we just pray and we just ask you. God, reveal to us where we're not living living for you the spaces of our life that we've shut off from you God the hurts that we've allowed to build up the disappointments the shame the guilt of past present issues Father God what is filling the space in our life that you should be residing in Father God help reveal those things to us God help open our eyes to the, those spaces that you'd have us to begin to move in God, let us see who you are and what you have for us. A people of God, walking confidently in the call of God. God, let us move with you this morning. Let us lay aside our fears. Let us lay aside anything that may hinder us from stepping out and living as the people you've called us to be. Father God, we love you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, stand with us.
let us in worship this morning.